In our series on the basics of Christianity, for the last two weeks, we've been thinking about worship of God, our worship of God in, in the life of the believer. I have noted already that some would say that worship is what the church does when we gather together to sing songs and hymns of praise. Some would say worship is what we do when we sing, like we just, like we just did, like we sang together the hymns and the choruses and and they are wonderful, and they speak wonderful truths. And some would say that that's, that's our worship, and that's what we're supposed to do is worship. And, and yes, it is true that that is worship. Our worship includes singing, but that is only a very small part of what true worship of God is and what it should look like in the lives of those who follow Christ. Unfortunately, it seems that more and more churches today are defining their worship by uh, what we would call maybe the quality of the music. We would say some churches and many churches, unfortunately, are are defining their worship by the quality and production of their music services. And so they give more and more time and effort to the preparation and presentation of music in in the services. And more churches today than ever before are making that their priority, making a time for a concert quality music in a church and leaving very little time for the preaching of God's Word. I'm not alone in this observation. Al Mohler, in his book on preaching, and we have other books by Al Mohler, I think some back back on the book table, he's written a book on preaching called He Is Not Silent, and he writes of this modern phenomenon in the church saying this, most outside observers would probably guess that it is music that stands at the center of our worship. The fact is, music now fills the empty space in most evangelical worship and provides most of the energy in the worship service. Intense planning, financial resources, and preparation are invested in the musical dimensions of worship. Professional staff and an army of volunteers spend much of the week in rehearsals and practice sessions as many evangelical churches seem intensely concerned to replicate studio-quality musical presentations. All this is not lost on the congregation. Some Christians actually shop churches in order to find one that offers a worship style and experience that fits their expectation. In most communities, churches are known for their worship styles and musical programs. Those dissatisfied with what they find at one church can quickly move to another, sometimes using the language of self-expression to explain that the new church, quote, meets our needs or, quote, allows us to worship. He goes on to say, a concern for true biblical worship was at the very heart of the Reformation. But even Martin Luther, who wrote hymns, and required his preachers to be trained in song, would not recognize this modern preoccupation with music as legitimate or healthy. Why? Because the Reformers were convinced that the heart of true biblical worship was the preaching of the Word of God. And I'm with the Reformers. (laughs) 
And you ought to be too, because God's word speaks to this. This is why the reformers were about making preaching the heart of their worship, because God's word makes preaching the gospel, the word of God, the heart of our worship. And what we see going on in many churches today is a failure to recognize that preaching is just that, the heart of our true biblical worship of God. It's the same truth we hear in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 when Paul writes to the church, about the primacy of the word of God in the life of the church, saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, believers are made to worship. We are, we are people who are made to worship God. And the church is most faithfully the church when it is worshiping God. But God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Yes? And our worship will not be biblical and thus not Christ-honoring if the heart of our worship is not the preaching of God's word. God's word makes very clear for us that preach, the preaching of his word must be the center of our worship, must be central to our worship. There's one passage in particular I want to show you today that helps us see this. I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy in chapter 4. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. It's here in 2 Timothy that Paul is writing to Timothy. He's encouraging him in his work and ministry of leading the church. And early in chapter 3, I'm going to read from chapter 4 in just a moment, but early in chapter 3, he had been reminding Timothy that there would come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. (laughs) That's a mouthful. But it's true. And we see it going on in the world in which we live, right? It seems like things get worse. And let me suggest that things will get worse, and they will continue to get worse until God calls his church home, yes. And then Paul challenges Timothy that this was not to be true of him. These things were not to be true of him, that he was to be a man of the word of God. And the church was to be a church of the word. He was to continue in the things that he had learned. He was to lead the church in the things that he had learned. Because as Paul says of the word of God, 2 Timothy, later in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now it's with this in mind, and for this reason, Paul charges Timothy, as we see here in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, actually in chapter 4, go with me there, 2 Timothy in chapter 4, and I want you to look with me at verses 2 through 4. 2 Timothy 4 and verses 2 through 4. Where Paul challenges Timothy with, with all of that, he's challenging him, do, do not be like the world and do not be like those who pursue worldly things, but pursue the truth of, of the gospel and, and, and stay with the things that you've been taught. And then he says in verse 2, chapter 4, 2 Timothy, 
preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will endure, will, will, will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The charge was clear to Timothy. I wonder if we can still hear the charge today. Can we still hear it? The charge is still for us today. The charge was clear for Timothy. It's, I'm, I'm going to suggest that it's still a very clear and valid charge today for the church. This has not ceased. This need for, the, for staying with the truth and preaching the word has not ceased to exist. We must preach the word. It is still a clear charge to the church and every minister who claims to be a minister of the gospel today. We are to preach the word. Why? Why? Well, because the world we live in without the direction and power of the word of God is, as we hear back in 2 Timothy in chapter 3, full of lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, that's verse 2, and, and many other things which go on and on to worse and worse. And then in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Or you might just say, being good people, but not believing in God's word. You see, so here's number one, and if you're taking notes, here's number one. Why must the preaching of the word of God be central to our worship as God's people? Number one, we preach because we're sinners. We preach the word of God because we're sinners. The preaching of God's word must be central to our worship as a church and as followers of Christ and as individual believers. Preaching must be central to us and must be important to us because we're sinners. And sinners need the word of God. Even saved sinners especially saved sinners. You need the Word of God to know how to live today. I need the Word of God to know how to live today. That's why Paul taught Timothy and God's Word equips us with that truth that we hear in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which I just read, that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and, and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be competent, equipped, equipped for every good work. God's Word equips the believer. We're sinners, and we need to be corrected and equipped. You see, preaching must be central to our worship because we're sinners, and we need to know that. You know that? You know that you're a sinner? You know that even as a follower of Christ, you still struggle with sin? You still fight sin? There's a battle going on inside you? Preaching must be central because it makes clear what we are. And God's word teaches and reproves and corrects sinners. We preach, and preaching is central to our worship because the preaching of God's word informs our hearts about who God is and who we are. You see, God is holy. And guess what? We're not. <laughs> right? I mean, God is totally righteous. Righteous. 
And we, all we can bring to the party is total sinfulness. And the centrality of preaching, the preaching of God's Word in our worship brings this truth to light in our hearts. It it shines a bright spotlight on the darkness of our hearts and says, you are a sinner and you need to be saved and you need to be transformed from the inside out. So we preach the Word of God because we're sinners. That points us to the second reason that preaching must be central to our worship. Not only are we sinners, and we preach the Word because of this, we preach the Word of God and make preaching central to our worship because it reveals the way of salvation. You see, it's not all bad news, okay? We start there. We've got to start with the bad news. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And we need to be saved. But we preach the Word of God because it reveals the way of salvation. The preaching of the Word of God shows us the way of salvation and compels us to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins and turn to Christ in faith. That's actually what repentance is. It's a turning. It's a turning away from sin to what is right. The preaching of the Word of God shows us the way of salvation. Thank God. God's Word shows us the way to be saved. Praise God. That's the truth of John 14, 6, where we hear Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is what we proclaim. And we preach it to ourselves first. We are saved only through the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him. That's why we hear Paul's warning to Timothy here in verse 2, 2 Timothy 4 in verse 2, that he is to, and that is the mandate of every preacher of the gospel still today, he's to preach the word, and so are we. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And, and you can be thankful, I think. I mean, just help me here. You should be thankful that that last phrase is there. With complete patience and teaching. Look, if God's word only said to me, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, you would see a lot of hell, fire, and brimstone from this pulpit. You know what I'm saying? But I'm told to preach with patience and teaching. And so I give you the truth, right? You don't think this is funny, do you? I think you ought to be thankful that that last phrase is there. I'm just saying, right? With complete patience and teaching, right? I mean, think of you as a parent and how God teaches you from his word to be patient with your children, to not exasperate them, right? And we could easily exasperate our children. And yes, I know I've got eight fingers pointing at myself. But we could easily exasperate our children if we aren't patient with them. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? And aren't you glad that God tells your pastor to be patient with you? (laughs) Guess what? This is encouraging to me. This helps me. This helps me stay the course. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Selfishly, wouldn't we all like to rebuke somebody? (laughs) You know, especially the one sitting next to us or something like that. Wouldn't we like to rebuke somebody and exhort someone and correct them and tell them they're wrong? Wouldn't we love that? Well, be patient. Because God is patient with you and your pastor is supposed to be patient with you and you need to be patient with each other. With complete patience and teaching, I'm thankful that's there, and I think you should be too. God is gracious, isn't he? But the warning is clear. 
be ready. Be ready to preach the Word of God. Be ready. And you insist, if you're a preacher of the Gospel, you insist on preaching the Gospel whether it's what they want to hear or not. This means that you preach the Word whether it's the cool thing to do or not. It might feel good for a time to make our times of worship more about music and less about the preaching of the Word, but that's not what's best for us. What's best for us as God's children is to get His Word into our lives and to start living in obedience to that Word. Paul's warning in verse 3, that's his warning there, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You see, the church and its pastor must understand that the enticement of feel-good teaching is strong. It will be tempting to tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. I can tell you personally and firsthand, it's very tempting for me to, to just tell you what I know will make you happy. So that when you leave, you'll say, nice job. I like that. That was good. But what we need is the truth of God's Word that sometimes hammers our toes. And you might might look at your pastor and go, thanks a lot. Right? Or maybe say nothing at all, but say it in in your heart. Thanks a lot, you big bully. But we need God's Word. I need God's Word. Let me just say, this is one of the dangers of preaching only topical messages, which is what I've been doing for the last eight weeks. Okay? And I know the danger. It is one of those things that I don't take lightly. I don't, I don't enjoy as much preaching topical messages like I have because, because I'm afraid of myself and what I will do with a topical message. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, it's easy for a pastor to say what he wants to say and to go hunting and pecking through God's word for the things that I want you to hear rather than telling you what I believe God wants you to hear. And, th- and so it's a challenge. It's, it's hard work to preach a topical message, for me anyway, that, that stays true to the gospel because I'm so tempted to just tell you things that will make you happy, <laughs> make you hop, skip, and jump out of here and look forward to your week. And pastor told us something that made us feel really good. And, and I've been greatly encouraged by many positive remarks about the last few weeks in our teaching here as we've been thinking about the basics of Christianity. It's not that these aren't important, but I'm telling you, it's just a temptation as a preacher, as a pastor, to give you kind of fluff instead of the hard truth sometimes that that convicts. You see, it's always tempting to the preacher to want to give the people what they want to hear. Why? Because, like anybody else, the preacher fears man. Okay? The fear of man is a powerful thing. The fear of man makes a preacher want to be liked, and he will not be liked by those who insist on being pleased and having their own passions satisfied and their itching ears tickled and salved. This is why it remains my commitment, as it has been for over uh, almost ten years now, that the majority of our preaching must be through whole books of the Bible, I'm convinced that's what's best for us. In fact, 
Lord willing, next Sunday, I'll give you a little bit of inside information, and you can start reading ahead. Next Sunday, we begin a new series of studies in the book of James. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you'll read the book of James with me and look forward to that new series. Let me just take a moment here to explain why I'm convinced preaching through books of the Bible is is what's best for us and why it's so important. Why am I so insistent that the majority of our preaching should be through whole books of the Bible? For the very reasons we hear from Paul here in our passage this morning, it's especially clear, I think, back in verse 2 when Paul charges Timothy to preach the word with complete patience and teaching. God saw fit to give us a book of books, okay, a book made up of books. And the Word of God, I believe, is most beneficial to our spiritual lives and the life of the church when we consider the whole counsel of God's Word. When we carefully preach and take in whole books of God's Word and not just select topics found here and there and as we kind of hop and skip around the Bible. But, but don't just take that for me. A couple of fellows who I respect and admire, pastors Mark Dever and Greg Gilbert, in their recent book on preaching entitled Preach, Theology Meets Practice, strongly encourage the practice of preaching through entire books of the Bible with these four reasons. First of all, preaching through books of the Bible helps you see the beauty of Scripture. And they say many Christians and those who preach to them treat the Bible as if it's a collection of wise sayings, the order of which doesn't matter very much. But we're not just looking for nuggets of wisdom buried in useless iron ore. We want our people to see the majesty of the whole. And preaching through entire books helps us open their eyes to Scripture's beauty. And that's one of the reasons I challenge you as as an individual to get a Bible reading plan. Maybe you've never read through the Bible. And I'm not saying you have to read the Bible in a year. It's not going to hurt you if you do. It'll help you. But if you think that that's too much, still, get a Bible reading plan and read systematically through the Bible. Instead of just cherry-picking your favorite verses, you need the whole counsel of God's Word. And that's one of the reasons... I'm committed to preaching through whole books of the Bible. Number two, they say preaching through books forces you to preach uncomfortable portions of Scripture. And boy, they are right. (laughs) I found that to be true. I get to passages sometimes in a book that we're studying, and I go, oh, I forgot that was here. I don't want to talk about that. And if it were up to me, I wouldn't, but it's here, and we're... We've got to preach on it. We've got to talk about it. They say if you've set, if you've established a pattern of preaching straight through books, you can't avoid uncomfortable portions and subjects. Number three, preaching through books confronts our fear of saying hard things. That's what I was suggesting earlier is my temptation with topical messages. One of the most crippling diseases, they say, for a preacher of God's word is a fear of saying hard things from the pulpit, a blanching at the thought of preaching something that might offend, and a resulting tendency to stay away from hard passages of the Bible. Preaching through entire books works against that fear and tendency because it forces us to preach those hard passages when they appear. And number four, preaching through books encourages your growth as a preacher and as a Christian. Preaching through books forces you as a preacher, and therefore your church as well, to grapple with passages of Scripture with which you're not already familiar. As a result, you learn new things. You grow in your knowledge of God. 
and His Word, and you mature as a Christian and as a pastor. If you skip around the Bible in your preaching, you will likely gravitate toward passages you already have thought long and hard about, passages you know a lot about already. And those pastors, those those two fellows are not alone either. An overwhelming majority of the pastors. I was thinking about my spiritual life and uh, those pastors from whom I have gained the most and when I've sat under their ministries, overwhelmingly, overwhelming, and an overwhelming majority of the pastors from whose ministry I have greatly benefited were pastors who preached through whole books of the Bible, consistently, faithfully, Sunday after Sunday, preached faithfully, marching through the text. And I am deeply grateful for men who have pastored and taught and been an encouragement in my life that way. I'm deeply grateful to former pastors of mine, such as Dr. Jim Jeffrey and Pastor Brad Brand and Pastor Greg Comfort, not to mention the many pastors whose writing and preaching I've benefited from, such as pastors like uh, Alistair Bagg, Ray Stedman and Chuck Swindoll and J. Vernon McGee and John MacArthur, just to name a few. And there are even those in our own fellowship of churches whose faithful ministries I've been encouraged by, such as pastors George Kuhn and, and Doug Crawford. And, and Basically, what all of these men have in common, what they all have in common is that they have faithfully, year after year, preached verse by verse through books of the Bible. Faithful preachers of God's Word. In fact, John MacArthur was asked why he chooses to preach through books of the Bible, and he offered this explanation. Preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible is the most reasonable way to teach the whole counsel of God. If I'm obligated to teach the whole New Testament or New Covenant message and all the mystery unfolded, the only systematic way that I know to teach is at all is to take it the way it comes, one book at a time, beginning to end. If I were to approach the goal of teaching the, the whole New Testament in random fashion, it would be a hopeless maze to lead people through. Neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament was written as a collection of verses to be thrown in the air and allowed to fall back wherever they might. Rather, each book has a reasonable, logical, inspired flow of thought going from point A to point Z. Each was designed by the Holy Spirit so that you have the Holy Spirit communicating something powerfully and clearly in the whole letter. You dare not miss a single part. And then he goes on to say, if I receive five letters in the mail one day, it would make no sense to read a sentence or two of one and skip two and read a few sentences out of another and go to the next one and read a few out of that one and on and on. If I really want to comprehend the letter, what is going on, the tone, the spirit, the attitude, the purpose, I must start from the beginning and go to the end of each one. If that's true of personal correspondence, I believe it is even more important when interpreting divine revelation. And that, I think, expresses very well why we also ought to be committed in our worship of God to the preaching of God's Word. And though we may occasionally address topics from the Scripture, as we have been for the last few weeks, we make a majority of our preaching of the Word of God through whole books of the revealed Word of God. That brings us to the third reason our worship must be centered on the preaching of the Word. Thirdly, we preach the Word of God because it shows us how to live. We preach the Word of God because it shows us how to live. You see, the preaching of the Word, the preaching of God's Word, must be central to our worship. 
Because the Word, first of all, shows us our sin, right? It reveals our sinfulness and tells us and it throws the spotlight on our sin. And then it shows us the good news. It shows us salvation and the way to eternal life. And then it thirdly shows us real life. It shows us real life. That's why Paul warned Timothy here in 2 Timothy 4.4, look at it, that he was to preach the word, otherwise people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. God's word must be central to our worship because if God's word is not central to our worship, we're in danger of wandering off into falsehoods. I think Jim Uplager said it in our Sunday school time this morning. We were talking about something like this, and he said, you've got to be careful who you follow. And God's word helps us with that, helps us know who to follow. It helps us to know who's telling us the truth. If we know God's word, we'll know who we can follow. And let me just say, first of all, we should be following God, (laughs) and we should be following God's word. We We ought not be following man. But when you put yourself under the preaching and teaching of those who claim to speak for God, you want them to be speaking the whole counsel of God's word. And so it helps us to know God's word so that we can define, is what this person is saying biblical or not? If not, I'm not going to listen. I'm going elsewhere. God's word must be central to our worship because it is by the word we learn how to live. And we ought to long for the preaching of God's word and for the instruction of the word to guide our hearts so that we might learn how to live a life that's honoring to God, to live a life that only God can give us. The prayer of the psalmist from Psalm 86 and verse 11 should be our prayer in our worship, I think, when the psalmist cries out, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. In other words, God, teach me your word. Help me to love your word and help me to honor your word by my obedience. And we must be preaching the word of God. And the word of God must be central to our worship of God because the word of God reveals to us the heart and mind of God. Do you want to know God? I mean, the one who created the universe, God. The one who made you, God. Right? The the God who's the creator of all things, that kind of God, that God who is who is the one true God, you want to know him? You can know him from his word. You can know everything he wants you to know about God from his word. And that is a tremendous gift. That's a wonderful gift. You want to know, and I think you should want to know, the heart and mind of God for everyday living, and you have it as you hold his word in your hands. That's why we preach and teach the Word of God and why the preaching of the Word of God should be central to our worship. Because it teaches us how to deal with real life. Don't let anyone tell you that the Bible is an old book for old people. The Bible is for everyone and for real life and for today. God's Word may be made up of words that were penned in ancient times, but they are not words that are of no value for today. It is a powerful and living and active book. You need to understand that God's Word is something far different than any book you'll pick up from the library. God's Word is active and powerful. The preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God must be central to our worship. From the Word, we learn how to make decisions that honor God. 
From the Word, we learn how to deal with suffering and loss. The Word comforts us and equips us in those times. From the Word of God, we learn how to, young people, learn how to choose a mate. From the Word of God, people who aren't so young and are married, learn how to teach you how to get along with your mate, (laughs) right? The Word of God teaches us how to raise our children. It is a timeless It is a timeless treasure on how to raise your children. I mean, think of it. There are all these wise people in our world who write books about how you should raise your children, and then a couple of decades later, they all recant and say, "Ah, you know, I think I was wrong because it's not working. God's Word works. It always has, and it always will. God's Word teaches you how to fight your sin and win and much more. The preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God must be central to our worship. Otherwise, we are in danger ourselves of turning away from listening to the truth and heaping up for ourselves teachers who will only teach us the things that we like, the things that tickle our itching ears. If we do not proclaim the Word of God and do not make it central to our worship, we are in danger of wandering off into myths. Harmful and dangerous myths. But as we know from Hebrews 4.12, and I've been pointing to it, the Word of God ministers to the heart of our needs. It challenges us right where we live today. It helps us not only with today, but also with tomorrow. It ministers to the very necessities of our lives, and it does so because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the power of God's wonderful Word. It is a miracle in and of itself. It is a blessing that God has given us, is a gift that God has given us, and we dare not take it lightly. That is why our worship isn't merely about singing. It's all founded on the Word of God. If you pay attention, you'll find that even our singing is a repetition of the truth that we find in the Gospels, in the Word of God, yes? And it should be. That's why the preaching of the Word of God must be central to our worship. We must make it central. We must keep it central. And as individual believers, we must be committed to the preaching of the Word as central to our worship. I would challenge and encourage you to examine your own heart about whether you're really committed to the preaching of God's Word. Are you committed to hearing it preached? Are you committed to to being here when it is preached? Are you committed to being attentive to the Word of God? Not to the preacher, but to the Word. Are you committed to obeying the Word of God? Are you committed to taking it from this place and putting it to work in your life today? The preaching of the Word of God must be central to our worship. Otherwise, we will not be worshiping God. I don't know what we'll be worshiping if we're not worshiping God. There's nothing to worship. We can think of all kinds of things in this world for which we can give our time and energies and and affections, but they're all nothing compared to God. 
And there is no instruction in this world, no instruction in any library that you will find that will surpass the instruction that God has given you in his word to instruct your life for today and to help you live your life for his glory. And so we preach the word of God and we make the preaching of the word of God central to our worship because it reveals our sin and reveals the condition of our hearts without God and then shows the way of salvation and then shows us what real life looks like. We ought to be thankful for God's word, yes? And we ought to insist on the preaching of God's word. 